In the book of Genesis, please, chapter number 12. I want to talk to you this morning on the blessed life, living the blessed life. And I want to look at a personality in Scripture that is quite familiar to anyone that knows Scripture or been serving the Lord for some time. This would be the person of Abraham. And in chapter 12, verses 1 and following. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Isn't that good? I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then some 13 chapters later, chapter 25, if you want to turn there. This is the word of the Lord about the life of Abraham, the blessed life. Maybe, maybe God speaking Abraham's eulogy. And in these two verses, the word of the Lord says, This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. 175 years. I'd say that's a blessing. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Point your hands in my direction. Offer a prayer for me, would you, please? Would you do me that favor? And so, Father, breathe on me and breathe on us. I really have no desire to fight the devil while I preach in my mind. Or in any other kind of way, you are the victorious one who have overcome him. No one who's come to church today has any desire to fight the devil while they are in the house of God at other times. Give us all power from God. Father, I know that because of the, the nature of our schedules and our agenda and our, our minds... Sometimes our bodies can be in one place and our minds can be elsewhere. We don't want that to happen in the house of the Lord. We want us to be totally sound at your word. God, give impartation to me and so I can share with your people. Give inspiration to all of us. You have not promised us the blessed life to keep it from us. You have promised it to us to give it to us. And so we are candidates for your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thank you for being seated. Keep your scriptures open, if you will. We're going to look at another passage in Hebrews 11. But let me move immediately into saying to you that the story of Abraham is found in chapter 12 through chapter 25 of Genesis. And among the wonderful lessons we can learn from Abraham... 
the one that I think of great value to us on this first Sunday of this year, is the experiences of his journey that caused him to be a blessed man. There's no way we can cover the life of Abraham in one sermon. But as I prayerfully pondered his story, four key thoughts came to my mind that I felt appropriate for sharing with you today to encourage you to pursue the blessed life. I don't think there's a one of us here that do not want the blessed life. I think we may all differ in the definition of the blessed life, but we want it. Some people think, boy, if I could just get on American Idol and make it to Hollywood and finish up. You don't even have to be the top one there. I mean, if you're in the top ten, you probably get albums, uh, contracts, and, and CDs and DVDs. Somebody's thinking, that's the blessed life. Oh, if I could just cash in on that 290 million mega millions, that would be the blessed life. I don't know, but I'm willing to find out. And there are all kinds of definitions about the blessed life. And I have come to appreciate that what God calls the blessed life is the best life. In the New Living Translation, the Lord sums it up this way about the end of Abraham's journey, but his life. Genesis 25, 7 and 8, Abraham lived for 175 years and he died at a ripe old age, having lived a long and satisfying life. Long and satisfying life. He breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death. I want to begin with this thought from the life of Abraham that produced blessings in His life, and that is the word obedience. Would you say the word obedience? Obedience. See, a number of you are going to get blessed because you obeyed me and and did it. (laughs) Genesis 12 and 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So Abraham departed. God called him. God told him what he wanted to do. And he just got up and decided to obey. Hebrews 11 and 8 talks about the faith of Abraham, which is the kind of faith that God blesses. And here it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. All of us know that obedience is not always easy. Can I get an amen? The Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and your father's house. That means, Abram, I want you to leave most everybody that you knew or know and have grown up around these last 75 years. I want you to take your wife, Sarah, your nephew, Lot, and the servants that you have 
And I want you to leave your environment, leave your comfort zone, leave your mother and your father, your brothers and your sisters, leave whatever right to property you may have, whatever future inheritance you're coming to, and I want you to listen to my voice. I want you to get up and start walking. I'll tell you where to go and where you are when you get there. And if you will obey me, Abraham, I will bless you and wait. Unless some of you out there cut me off. <laughs> no, just, just kidding. At age 11, my mom and dad, three sisters and I, migrated from the small island of Trinidad to the United States. My father was converted from Hinduism. My mother was converted from Hinduism. And... God blessed him to start a church on the island, and he pastored it for 15 years. And he started three or four other churches out of that church. But he had visited the United States in 1966, 67. And the Lord laid it on his heart to come and minister in the United States and to bring our family sort of like a missionary to America. How many know we need them? And it was a greater price to pay for my mother and father than it was for me and my siblings. Because mom and dad would have to leave their parents, all of which were alive except the father, my, my dad's father. Grandparents were alive. Their brothers, their sisters, their nieces, their nephews, their aunts, their uncles. We would have to get all of our earthly possessions, the six of us in our family, put them in suitcases and boxes. Sell all the furniture, resign the church of 15 years, sell the car, and come to a place we've never been. And there would be a precious lady whose name is Edna Poole, who's gone on to be with the Lord, who would sign the immigration papers on behalf of the Matura family. And she would say, for the time that they are immigrants to the United States... They used to call them aliens back then. And don't look at me like you think I still am one. <laughs> we would go live with her for three months in a four-room mill house. Where she and her son would share their home with us until we could find a place to live. And there, our family would start all over again. Go to a different school. Do, do just the numbers of different things. With no relatives, and that's not the day and time when you had access to phones and kind of communication that you could stay in touch back home. And, and that price that my mother and father paid 42 years ago, my mom since been gone with me, the Lord, in 1999. And now we've been in this country for 42 years, and I'm telling you that I will be eternally grateful to my mother and father for obeying God in 1968. Because I'm the product of their obedience. But our price was never as close as, as Abram. How many of you would realize that starting over, all over again at age 75 is not usually recommended? 
The Bible says Abram was 75 years old. In our culture and time, by 75, you should be finished with your job. You should be able to collect some social security by that time. And by the way, don't hold out for yours. Because <laughs> every year they send you a statement about what you put in there. You're telling you by the time you get ready, there ain't going to be none. But if there is, by age 75, you should be collecting some Social Security, Medicare benefits. And if you have set aside any retirement funds during the course of your employment, you should be drawing some and bringing your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren around you at age 75. You shouldn't be starting all over again. And here's what I've learned about Abraham and the blessed life. You want to note this, please. Sometimes in this business of obedience, God calls us to do what seems unreasonable. Yeah. How unreasonable it might have seemed to Abraham and to his peers and his families when he announces, God told me to leave here and start over again at age 75. And as I read Scripture, I find that that's how God often operates in order to get us into the blessed life. I won't belabor it, but I, I am recalling 1 Kings 17, verses 8 through 16, where a widow who lived in a town called Zarephath was gathering some twigs to make a fire on which she would prepare some cornbread which would be the last meal for she and her only son. For this widow, you see, was living in the midst of a famine. It hadn't rained for weeks and months and months, and it wouldn't start raining until after three years has expired. There's no vegetation because no rain produces no fruit. The Cattle and sheep and goat, many of which have died because there's no food or water. Hundreds, maybe thousands around have died. The man of God, Elijah, shows up in Zarephath in the widow's home or in her yard. God tells him to go there and he'd take care of him. Elijah says to the widow, would you please, ma'am, give me something to drink? And she starts moving away from him in order to get him something to drink, if she could find it. And while she goes a little distance, he says, and by the way, like any preacher would, bring me something to eat. I think if Elijah saw some chicken in that yard, he'd ask for fried chicken. No preacher worth his salt. Don't eat fried chicken. And I'm not asking for any, by the way, please. And she said, excuse me, sir. Maybe you don't know what's going on here in our part of the world. There's a famine going on. And, sir, all I have is a little bit of flour in a flour jar, the bottom of it, and a little bit of oil to mix with that. And I will make the last supper from my son and I. And then we don't have a clue how we're going to live beyond here. This, this could be the end for us. Elijah says, go and fix me a biscuit and bring me something to drink. 
And God's going to take care of you for your obedience. In the natural, it would seem unreasonable to ask of all people a widow with mere crumbs to feed you. But see, God doesn't work like we work. God has a way of taking our nothingness and multiplying it if we're willing to give it. Can I get another amen? She goes and does exactly what the man of God says, fixes something for him to eat. He eats and he drinks. She does with her son. Later on that evening, she's thinking, well, I'll go back and see if there's any little bit left in the jar, in the flower jar, and that maybe we could scrape something up. And she goes, and there's just enough there for she and her son, like it was when she thought she used it all up the last time. And she thinks, oh, something has happened here, and this is the last time for sure. And they eat, and they go to bed, and she gets up the next morning at breakfast time, and she goes back to the same jar that holds the flour, and the same jar that holds the oil, and there's just enough there for one more meal. And all through the famine the rest of the time, because this woman obeys God in an unreasonable request. She has food to eat, something to drink, and she and her son doesn't die. They enjoy the blessed life because she learns to obey God brings blessings. I don't need to belabor it. The significance of importance, importance of obedience. I need to tell you that Peter and his friends had fished all night, the gospel of Luke chapter 5, because fishing was his vocation. They fished at night because it was easier to catch fish with net at night when the water wasn't translucent during the day because the sun shining in the water would reveal the net and smart fish. And time I've ever been fishing, there's always been smart fish because I can't seem to find none. Would see the net in the translucent water of the daylight and therefore they would shun the catch and as a result fishing would be, the, the harvest would be slim in the daytime. Peter and his friends had fished all night. Jesus showed up on the shore the next morning or maybe in late morning. The crowds had followed Jesus and he needed a place to minister to them. So he saw these two boats, uh, one of which was owned by Peter and from which they had fished during the night. And Jesus said, Peter, I want to borrow your boat. And so he did, and he said, push it off a little bit from the shore so I can speak to these people. And so he did, and Jesus got in the boat, and he spoke to the people, and then he dismissed them. And after that, he thought, well, I'll just bless Peter for lending me his boat. And and so what he did, he said, I want you to go back out, and I want you to cast out your net again for a catch. And Peter says, wait just a minute, Lord. Wait just a minute, Lord. That doesn't seem very reasonable and practical. Because, you see, Lord, we have fished all night. We are fishermen. We know when fish bite or when fish can be caught, Lord. And we don't always talk to the Lord this way, but Peter's probably thinking, you are a carpenter. Your father, Joseph, was a carpenter. All you know is about how to build a chair and a table and some kind of something else. So don't come telling we fishermen how to catch fish. But he didn't say it quite that way. But he resisted the word of the Lord at first. But then he got to thinking, you know, what do I, what do I have to lose? I'll just go ahead and obey the Lord. And I'm telling you, in 2011, you and I are going to have to do what Peter did. Peter said to the Lord, while we fished all night and we caught nothing, here's the key. Nevertheless, at 
your word, we will do it again. The Bible said they went out, they threw out the net, and they caught so much fish and large fish until they had to call neighboring fishermen in their boats to come and help them fill up their boats so that they might be able to draw all the catch they had. I want to tell you there's something amazing about obeying God even when you don't understand God. If you'll obey Him, God will keep His Word. Write this down and remember it. We only get to know God's provision when we follow through with obedience. Did you hear what I said? We only get to know His provision when we follow through. If we know to do good and don't do it, we can't expect blessings. Can I get an amen? If we know we should ask God to forgive us of our sins and don't follow through with a prayer of repentance, we can't expect forgiveness from our sins. Can I get another amen? Please remember this. The blessed life begins and ends with obedience. And God is not calling for partial obedience in 2011. If you want your marriage blessed, if you want your mind blessed, if you want your children blessed, if you want your money blessed, if you want your job blessed, if you want deliverance from all kinds of possible attack of Satan, then you are not to take your Bible and do multiple choice shopping. You are to take your Bible and say, this is the Word of God, and some of it I might not understand, and some of God's requests may be unreasonable, but if God made a request of me, my business is to obey. Here's a second thought, please. It's this thing of trust. If I've learned anything from the life of Abraham, I've learned that he was a man who trusted God. And if I'm going to say anything to you to help you on this first Sunday of the new year, is that we've got to go back to that old song the church used to sing, Trust and Obey. The Scripture says to us about Abraham's faith in God, chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 8. By faith, because faith is trust. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. Look at this. Here's where the trust comes in. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Not even a GPS. The talk around the town before he leaves is Abraham's leaving. So somebody says to Abraham, and then just kind of hypothetically making this scenario up, it's very possible it could have happened. Uh, Abraham, why are you leaving? Well, God told me to go. Abraham, where are you going? I don't know. Abraham, how long will it take for you to get there? I don't know. What do you know, Abraham? I know I must trust God. If I am going to get the blessed life, if, if God's going to give me a land and inheritance like he said he would, I just got to go. If, if God's going to bless those who bless me and curse those who curse me, if God's going to make my seed and my inheritance so large in number, which of course is the nation of Israel today, you do know that. I mean, you, you, you know that already, but just, let me just throw it out there because God kept his word. If I am going to experience the blessed life, I've come to understand, all of us know this cliche, but it's very true. It's not just a cliche. If you 
do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. Can I get a witness here, somebody? But if you want some change and you want to be blessed, you've got to be willing to step out at the Word of God and trust God that where He leads you, He knows where you need to be. And where He leads you, He is going to provide for you. This wouldn't be the last time that Abraham would have to trust God. One of the most challenging accounts in Scripture is that account of Abraham in Genesis 22 when God elected to test him. God made him a promise that I'll give you a son. And out of that son, I'm going to bless you with other sons and daughters. And grandchildren and great-grandchildren, great-great-great-grandchildren. And I will bless you until you become a mighty nation. He goes on for several years and there's no child. And he's thinking, God's forgotten. Maybe we should help him. You ever try to help God? Go ahead and say, man, oh, me, I've done it too. How many know that even when we try to help God, we mess up? God's good enough to come pick us up again. He and Sarah got this plan. She's a barren woman. She doesn't have the capacity to bear a child, not of her own accord. That's just the way life dealt to her. And so they, they have this plan where Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, would, uh, would uh, be intimate with Abraham. And, and, and as of Abraham's seed would be in Hagar, and she would conceive, and they would have a child. And they did have a child, and his name was Ishmael. But that wasn't God's promised son. Abraham waits 25 years for Isaac to come. He's 100 years old when Isaac comes. His wife is 90 years old when Isaac comes. They're old enough and they have their first child. They're old enough to be somebody's parent, grandparent, and great-grandparent all at the same time. But now they have their first child. Doesn't God have a sense of humor? And I mean, I'm going to tell you something. Wow. There's just something that there's a different level of love that I have discovered in having a grandson. I mean, you all showed me your pictures for 25 years, some of you. You pick it out, and you know, this is my grand. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, wonderful, fine, let's move on. Could you put up the PowerPoint of my grandson? No, just kidding, I don't have it. Lakeland has come into our lives. He'll be one year old later on this month. Wow. I wish Lakeland had come into my life when I was at least 10 years younger so I could get up faster. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. Grandchildren are grand. But I'm learning. I'm learning. It takes a whole village to raise one grandson. <laughs> if he comes over after church on Sunday afternoon after I preach two sermons and he comes over, oh my God, the greatest challenge is not me preaching two sermons to so you guys. is chasing one grandson for three hours. Isaac is the son born to Sarah and Abraham. He's 100, she's 90. And some of you women thinking, don't do it to me, God. <laughs> Good for you, ladies. God bless you. I mean, he's the apple of their eye. He don't get up when they don't chase after him. I mean, they've been waiting on this boy 25 years. And somewhere in the course of it, he's about 13, 14 years old now. God says this to Abraham. On the screen, it's there for you. Genesis 22, 1 and 2. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And God said to Abraham, take now your son. Get this, your son, your 
only son, Isaac. Look at the descriptions of the value of this boy to Abraham. Your son, your only son, here's a third, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Wait just a minute, God. I must have had garlics and onions before I slept last night. And you ain't speaking to me about taking my boy. Here's another one of those unreasonable, unbelievable requests of God. Well, you got to learn to trust Him. I have observed in my ministry and in my personal walk with the Lord that we can get attached to people and things in the blessed life so much so that we are in danger of neglecting the source of our blessing. Did you hear me? Let me clarify. Every once in a while, God has to come in to our lives and test our allegiance to Him. The danger is not that we get blessed. The danger is that our blessing can become a curse. Did you hear me? We can ask God for someone or something, and when God comes through with that someone or something, we are in danger of replacing God with that blessing. I've seen it happen. I'm telling you, in pastoring over 25 and a half years, I have helped people pray for saved marriages, healed bodies, Pregnancy that will produce a child, a better job, a better car, a better house, a salvation of a loved one, a recovery from an addiction of substance abuse. I have helped people pray and heard people say, if God does this for me, pastor, I will serve him the rest of my days. Only to have the blessing granted. And within a few weeks or months or a year of that blessing... They have walked away from church, from ministry, from prayer, and from God. And so every once in a while, God's got to show up. And You see, the test for Abraham was not whether or not God could be trusted. I'm hurrying. It was whether or not Abraham could be trusted with the blessed life. You know, all these people that are going around talking, Pastor, if I win the lottery, I'll build a church for you, and they don't even give 10 cents out of a dollar. <laughs> Y'all didn't think I would just start the new year and not meddle a little bit. These people making all these promises they're going to do something for God when God does so and so when He's already done enough already. The reason God hadn't made some people prosperous is because He can't trust them with the blessing. God wants to know that after you get that blessing, will it become your idol or will I still be your God? Will you take that spouse and that become your idol? Will you take your son and daughter who's now, now into the age of where they need a lot of your time and effort and you want to support them in their sports and in their education? Would they become your idol? Anybody hearing me here? When I give you that house or I give you that boat or I give you that benefit or that blessing, will it take my place? And God sometimes has to call on us and say, I want the blessing back. He said that to Abraham. And now the long and short of the story is Abraham took his son, made three days journey, went up to a place called Mount Moriah, and there's more to the story than I'm saying here, but to, for the heart of it. He places his son on the altar. He binds him to the altar. 
And he takes a large object, which of course would be a knife or some instrument of death. And he prepares to offer up his son, thinking, this is just unreasonable, but I'm going to trust God because he hasn't failed me yet. God, I mean, God has never called for human sacrifice before. It's unreasonable, but God spoke to me clearly. I don't think that Abraham got clearance from Sarah before he took his boy out to the... Huh? You think he told Sarah, I'm fixing to go kill our son, I'll see you in three days. You know some of the stuff God tells you to do? you got to be careful who you share it with. Because, by the way, you know the end of the story is he didn't kill his son. God interrupted, interrupted him at the very point of death for his son Isaac. And a voice from somewhere out in the cloud said, Abraham, here I am, Lord. Now I know that I am priority. I'm paraphrasing in your life. Now I know I can trust you with the blessing because the thing that is most dear to you, the thing you waited 25 years for, the thing that is life to you and Sarah, you were willing to give to me. And because you were willing to give that to me, I will supply an animal. It's a few feet away from you. You go get that ram, put it on the altar, offer it as a sacrifice for me, and I'll keep blessing you, Abraham, because you have trusted in me. And because because you trust me, I'll trust you. Somebody give the Lord some thanks. Please hear me. And I, I got to find a place. Listen to me. Some of us got some Isaacs we got to put on the altar this morning. You all didn't hear me. Some of us got to lay some Isaacs on the altar and say, God, it's taking more of my time, more of my affection, more of all of me when you should have first place. I'm hurrying. Here's a third word the Spirit gave to me early yesterday morning so that I could tell you how to live the blessed life. I must tell you that if Abraham was an example of anything, he was an example of giving. I say that to you so that you understand what he understood. Abraham understood that his blessings came because he knew how to be a blessing others. When you study the life of Abraham, he didn't hoard it up, stockpile it, or isolate the blessings of God just for he himself and his family. But he understood that every good and perfect gift, every blessing I get, God gives me the animal, the livestock, the vegetation, the grain, the family, the silver, the gold, everything, the health, everything I have, God has blessed me and he wants me to bless somebody else. In chapter 13 of Genesis, the Bible talks to us about Abraham, who had already given up his home because he left his homeland. And it tells us that he gave up his best pastors in chapter 13 because his nephew Lot had amassed quite a bit of livestock also. His nephew Lot is traveling with Abraham. Abraham's kind of like his, his father. And Abraham has servants and livestock. Lot has servants and livestock. They're traveling together. And these two groups of herdsmen of Abraham and Lot, they start fussing with each other about the land for the animal to graze. Abraham says to Lot, look, 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 let's don't have any more fussing. You look out on all the land all around us, the whole panoramic view. Whatever land you choose, you take, you go that way, you get first choice, and I'll take the rest. You know, there's something terrible about greed. I saw, I saw a program the other night called American Greed. I never saw it before. I'll come back to that in just a moment. 
Lot sees the well-watered plains, the best pasture. Here, here's, if Lot was a prayed-up man, he'd have said this to himself. There's no way I'm going to take first choice from my Uncle Abraham. Because every camel, goat, donkey, or whatever I have, livestock, I got it through my uncle's walk with God. He shared it with me. How dare I take the best when I got it? And, and another thing he just said if he was a prayed up man, he said, that's my uncle. He's the senior man of the family. The ble- oh, I feel a whoop. Y'all ain't used to that, some of you Baptocostals, are you? I'm telling you, if this is the way it's going to be the rest of the year for me, y'all better buckle up. Whether you all are going into the promised land or not, I don't know. You see, what, what I've discovered about life and the blessings of God is some of the greatest opportunities that God gives me are often disguised as impossibilities. I just preached a whole sermon right there. For you this year, some of the greatest opportunities, that business you wanted to start it, that education you wanted to pursue, that graduation you wanted to complete, that other kind of goal and vision you had in your heart that all the last year you couldn't do, and, and God's knocking at the door of your heart again and putting it back in you, and when you got, start to pursue it, some of the greatest opportunities in your life, the devil will make sure that you see them as impossibilities. But if you'll get in tune with God, if you will obey His Word and trust Trust His Word and have a prayer life. God will change your impossibilities into opportunities. Somebody praise Him here. Lot should have said, that's my uncle. He's older. He is the patriarch of the family. All the blessings come through the... My dad spoke to me on the phone on New Year's Day and he said, no, New Year's Eve. He said, now I want to pray for you, Alan. He's 80 years old. He pastors in Greenville, South Carolina. It's about maybe 10 o'clock Friday night. And the Holy Spirit said, don't resist it. That's your dad. The blessings flow through the Father to the Son. I feel another shouting fit. Stay prayed up, Dad. Mom. But he did he, didn't, he was so selfish. He took the first choice and neglected his patriarch. And this show American Greed, this week I saw two grandmothers in their 70s would befriend homeless men and put them up in apartments and pay for it. And they would go to these refuge and places where people are homeless, shelters. And these two grandmother women would make sure that these men that they became friends with had no extended family with whom they could communicate, etc. They would put them up in an apartment, pay their way, and they would take out life insurance policies on them. $500,000 on each of these guys, $1 million. These insurance policies cannot be redeemed for their full value until after two years. For the first two years, if there's a claim on the policy, it will only be to the measure of the amount of premiums you spend in. That's most life insurance policies. But after two years, it could be the... F- in 1999, they ran over, killed in an alley, the first guy, after two years. And it was an accident. 
Nobody knew who or what, but they were able to claim the $500,000. In 2005, they killed the other guy and collected another 500000 They had befriended enough men that way and had insurance policies coming down the pike to the tune of $5 million. Somebody help this preacher here. Can you believe the depth of greed? I'm telling you, friends, it's amazing what the flesh will do. And and so I, I say to you that sometimes God has to say, look here just a minute, it ain't yours, it's mine. And I've got to hurry because he'd given up his home. He'd given up his best pasture. He'd given up his plan for success. He, the Bible says he'd given up his first son, Ishmael. I mean, no, he had to give up his first. And now, now he, he's called by God to offer up his only son, Isaac, which I just described. God helped him. The Bible said on one occasion when, when Abraham had to go rescue Lot. Are you all hearing me this morning? In, in chapter 14, Lot got involved with the wrong crowd and the wrong people. And he got, he was a captive. And Abraham had to go rescue him with all of his servants. And Abraham went and rescued him. And God gave him such favor until Abraham got a lot of spoils of the enemy. And came back to the house of God and the priest of God who is Melchizedek. And the Bible said Abraham tithed all of all he had to God. Abraham was a tither. Why did you all get so quiet? Isn't that in the Bible? And I'm trying to hurry here and I'm trying to tell you this. For Abraham, listen, I get a little loud sometimes. Have you noticed? Listen, I'm tr- listen. For Abraham, nothing was as valuable as what God wanted. Somebody ought to help me praise the Lord. I mean, for so many years, we in the church have sang songs like, Take my houses, take my land, take my dream, take my plan, just to tra- draw me closer to you, God. And God takes a little bit of a house, a little bit of a land, a little bit of a money, a little bit of a health to test us, and the next thing you know, we backslide. Because we never really meant it. We just like the words of the song. Somebody help me preach here. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, Everything that you fight so feverishly to keep and hoard for yourself is going to go back to the dust and the ground. Matter of fact, the people who are going to get the stuff you saved up or you thought were going to get it and ain't really going to get after you gone, if you knew who they were, you wouldn't die. Here's a principle that blesses people. This is the Word of God. Now, I know when I preach on giving, somebody's going to say, yeah, he's like the rest of them. Go ahead and say it, honey. The people who criticize most about the preaching of giving are the people who ain't doing diddly squat. (laughs) Diddly squat is the Greek for diddly squat. (laughs) This is the principle of the Word of God for Alan Matura and everybody else. Jesus said, everybody say, Jesus said. Read out loud on the count of three. One, two, three. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus said it. You know, I said this a minute ago, and I don't mean to be mean. But you know, we treat the Bible sometimes like you treat your favorite buffet line. You see, we Christians misunderstood when Paul said about bringing his body body under subjection. He said, I buffet my body. I beat it. I buffet. Crucified. 
thought he meant I buffet my body. Where that came from, probably not of God. We take the Bible and we say, I like Genesis, but I can do without Revelations. Oh, oh, wait just a minute. Uh, I like these Beatitudes, but you can leave out them Ten Commandments. You see, we got preachers in America now who used to be preachers who are coming out as homosexuals. And one of the most recent ones was down there in Conyers, uh, Mr. Sweeley. Okay? You know, I'm going to tell you, the older I get, the less I could care about the, what the world thinks. I'm not going to be arrogant and foolish, but I'm not going to be a generic preacher. Okay? If they can get on TV and decry the Word of God and call their name and say, this book didn't mean what it said when it said what it says, and give themselves a license to sin, I have every right to take the same book and say, this is the unsearchable Word of God. And God hasn't changed His mind about sin. If we disobey, we'll be cursed. But if we obey, we'll be cleansed. Now give the Lord a hand clap, somebody. So, you, you need to understand that this first Sunday of the year, you need to take your tithe envelope and take 10% of your income. And before you leave today, give it to God. You need to, put, you need to start this Sunday and every Sunday and saying, God, I, could, I wouldn't have a job. I wouldn't have taste buds in my mouth and seeing in my eye and walking in my feet and digestion in my belly. You ain't heard preaching till you hear me right now. And I'm not preaching just to get you to respond. I'm telling you the word of God. The Bible says that when we bless God first, when we get, he said, prove me. There's no other place in the Bible where God challenges us to challenge him. He says, prove me. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse and see if you don't obey me. If I want to open up the windows of heaven and bless you and ways you cannot measure. <laughs> Norman Vincent Peale wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I don't think I'm doing that right now, but I'm trying to get you blessed. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that the Bible said of Abraham, Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. Why? Because he was a giver. The Bible says of Abraham at the end of his journey, the Lord has blessed my master. Let me give you the context. This is Abraham's servant, Eliezer, who has gone to find a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac, at Abraham's request. And Eliezer is speaking to the would-be mother-in-law and brother-in-law of Isaac. And he's saying... Don't be hesitant to send your daughter, Rebecca, to marry my master's son. Because my master has been blessed and become so great. God's given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and male and female servants and camels and donkeys. I want to tell you something. You and I hold the key to the blessed life. It has to do with obedience, trust, and giving. And then one more word and I'll close. Righteousness. Genesis 15 and 6, and he believed in the Lord. Abraham did it. God counted to him for righteousness. And the Lord counted to Abraham. He counted him as righteous because of his faith. You haven't been blessed until you make the choice for clean living and right living. Can I get a witness here, somebody? 
God calls us to purity. And out of our purity, He'll produce provisions and power. Righteousness means that I'm in right standing with God and I'm in right standing with my brothers and sisters. Can I get another amen? Righteousness means that I'm not one thing on Sunday morning in the pew and something else on Monday morning at job. Righteousness means that I try my best not to have a family feud on the way to church in the car. And then when I come into my sisters and brothers, God bless you, God bless you. It's not always easy. Some of the biggest, best fights happen on the way to church. I know that. And you know what I'm going to say. My wife and I never fight on the way to church. Never, never, never. Why do you think there are two parking places out there? Pastor and pastor's wife. That's the way to solve that. And if you've got to do that, although we relish all of our parking places, we have about 23 acres and we can help you out. Righteousness means that if I'm working for an honest day's wage, I need to clock out honestly. Simple things. Righteousness means that even though the world's atmosphere is that high school students and college students are promiscuous and they'll have sex out of marriage because they're just, that's what they do. Righteousness means no, I won't do that because my body's a temple of the Lord. And while it may be permissible, while it may be free birth control prevention available to me, I am the temple of God. Righteousness means that I don't look at another man's wife and another wife that look at another uh, woman's husband and lust after them. Righteousness says, close my eyes, get out of here, leave like Joseph did. Run, 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 run. Righteousness means that I, oh God, I don't take the postage stamp from the business and a pencil and a pen and take it home with some labels and some uh, post-its because, bless God, I don't get enough pay here anyhow, so I think I'll take a few items. Oh God, I could have left that alone, but it's the little things, brothers and sisters. I just mean when I get on 285 and the traffic is running 10 miles above the limit, I'm running the limit. Some folks are waving at me with a certain finger that I don't blow my horn and get mad. Huh? It ain't easy, but it's doable. Righteousness means that I love my wife. And if I owe her an apology, I need to give it to her. Now, please. I want to bless life. We want to bless life. Oh, my God, I've gone too long and I've only now realized it. I apologize, but I thank you for your presence. Oh, Jesus. Thank you for your presence. Would you stand to your feet, please? I'm just going to make the invitation. Give the invitation. Don't leave it unless you have to, but I know, I know their schedules. Reach up, reach, reach up and reach up to the Lord. Reach up even like you're taking a stretch. Wake up yourself. Come on, help me out here. Reach up to the Lord. Reach up. And while you're up there, say, thank you, Jesus. While you're up there, say, praise the Lord. Oh, now give him a hand. Okay, here's, here's the invitation. It'll make no difference to me if it's one or a hundred. I hope it's a hundred. I'm not your judge. I'm not here going to measure you with a, with a magnifying glass or a tape. I'm just going to invite you. Don't misunderstand me, okay? 
I invite any and everybody here, whether you're saved or not saved. If you say, Pastor, I need to revisit trust, obedience. Put it on the screen for me. Giving and righteousness. Pastor, the second day of 2011, the house of the Lord, the place of God. I'm not here about my husband, my wife, my son, my daughter, my boyfriend, my girlfriend. I'm here about me, me, me. I want to be blessed, not cursed. I want to bless life. I need to visit these things. And I come to present myself to you today for the blessed life. Leave from where you're standing and come to the altar. And I'll close with a prayer after you come. Sing that song. Thank you. Come, come from everywhere. I hope you belong. I just want to pray over you. I don't care if you fill the aisles of faith. I'm coming because I'm a candidate. for the first 30 seconds or so of this prayer a minute, I want you to respond and I want you to tell the Lord what you want Him to do if there be any hindrances in producing the blessed life. I want you to tell Him, God, it's a little hard for me to be obedient in this area when I lack so much, but would you help me? Would you say to the Lord, I want the blessed life, but I need to forgive a little bit. Oh, a lot. I sometimes lose my temper, Lord. I sometimes judge people poorly. I sometimes put a zero over people's head when I should have put a ten. God, I find it difficult. I know that giving is in the Bible, but I really struggle. Help me with that. What I'm saying is, put it on the altar. Is that okay to say that, church? I want you, I want you to tell God about what you know hinders your blessed life. But I want you to pray loud enough for you to hear yourself. Because if you just think in your head, you'll, the mind will wander. But if you hear yourself, you won't nearly be as distracted. Go ahead and pray right now. Go ahead and start praying right now. Oh, Lord Jesus, come on. I come to this altar. I'm standing in this pew. And I want the blessed life. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, Jesus, show me what I need to leave in church today. Oh, Father, I just bless you. Come on. Go ahead and tell him. Tell him about your choices. Tell him about any idols in your life. Go ahead. God say, say, God, I don't want the blessing to become my curse. I don't want you to take the blessing from me because I've made it an idol. I want you to change my priorities. I will trust in you. Come on, pray a little bit more. Pray a little more passionately. Oh, in Jesus' name, Father, now I pray over this congregation. Oh, God, I pray that you would release the Holy Spirit in our lives. Keep praying. Oh, God, I pray that you'd give us the capacity to self-discipline. 
Give us the determination to trust in you. We lay our idols on the altar today. God, we lay our, our Lord, our pride, our ego. We lay our status, our position, our title. We lay, oh God, uh, Lord Jesus, anything else that might hinder us. We lay our marriage, our children, our family. Oh God, we lay our grievances, our complaints. Oh God, we lay our dependency on substance like like certain drugs or, or, or maybe other kind of substance. Oh God, on doctors, on lawyers, on preachers, on bankers. We lay all of our dependence on them and we will trust in you. Raise up your hands. Raise up your hands and give them some praise. God, I want to praise you while I call those things that are not as though they are. Come on. God, I call your blessings on my mind. Call it down. Call it down. I call your blessings on my spouse. I call your... Say it. Say it with your mouth. I call your blessings on my children. God, I call your blessings on my finances. This is going to be the year of the blessed life, not the curse. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to Jesus. Come on, praise Him with me. Come on, lift up those hands. 